Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, you know, we've been talking, we've had a, had the opportunity a couple times in the last month or so to talk to some folks uh, associated with the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. So we had a chance to talk to Dan, who's who's now running that. We, we had a tan- chance to talk uh, to the folks in the Prometheus team about what they're doing around monitoring and so forth. And, you know, a lot came out of the uh, LinuxCon slash ContainerCon days this week. And one of the big announcements was uh, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, in partnership with Intel, uh, has basically made available to the public uh, a thousand node cluster that is going to allow people to do uh, some very cool, you know, large scale testing, uh, do some joint collaboration with people, um, you know, really provide an environment for people that want to be working on the types of technologies that uh, the CNCF has been uh, actively working on. So Kubernetes and, and a lot of things that are coming down the pipe. So today we're very, very lucky. We have uh, Jeremy Eater from Red Hat, performance engineering from Red Hat, who uh, we'll let him explain it, but worked on a very, very cool sort of initial project on this thousand node cluster. So Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Yep. I'm actually fresh back into the Raleigh area from uh, LinuxCon, ContainerCon, and Cloud Native Day uh, just yesterday. So yeah, we did. We spent six plus weeks, I think, working on a project on the CNCF gear, and um, it's been tremendously productive, I think, not only for Red Hat, but for the larger open source community. Yeah. So before we dive into it, give us a little bit of your background, um, you know, how you got, you know, what you're, what you're doing over at Red Hat and then how you got involved with this, this project and this, this huge cluster environment. Right. Uh, well, at Red Hat, we work, you know, I work in the larger uh, performance and scale engineering team. And there's, there's some 30 plus uh, folks at this point that cover performance and scalability across Red Hat's product line. Um, my smaller team handles OpenShift, uh, and container-related things like uh, like Docker all the way down to the kernel. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and um, we actually have several people from different groups and collaborating in a more lar- in a larger kind of scalability effort for OpenShift. So, while while I was the author of this blog and we're talking today, um, this was this was a, a at least a half a dozen people worked on this project. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think when when people take a look at the at the blog and it's as always it's, it's in the show notes, folks. Um, you know, it's it is a massive undertaking. So yeah, the expectation that one person could pull it off is is not realistic. So let, let's talk about what the project was. Um, you know, you you wrote a you did a huge write up uh, about it, but essentially, um, you guys built a thousand node uh, cluster to be able to do you know container platforms, uh, you know sort of virtualized infrastructure for the cloud piece, and then run a ton of applications on top of it. Give us give us the highlights and and some of the you know, kind of core architectural considerations you had to make. Yeah, uh, well, so the background is that we have, you know, we this wasn't our first foray into the scalability testing of OpenShift. We've been doing it since uh, prior to even GA of OpenShift three uh, scalability testing, and we've over we've so we've gone through maybe three or four iterations at a decent scale um, before now, and so building all of the test harnesses and uh, scripts, et cetera, and automation to make that work was really what allowed us to get usable data out of the CNCF environment. And so we had written test plans that we had previously executed, and we just extended them for these new capabilities, new hardware capabilities in this larger environment. And you know, this this environment was, you know, I, I assume the goals were, 
you know, test, uh, you know, not only things like OpenShift and, and, and OpenStack, but really kind of, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between architecting or pulling together kind of a proof of concept. You want to test a few features and, and thinking about, you know, what do I do when I get to, to these larger scales? Like what were some of the, the core things from an architecture perspective you had to, to kind of plan for in terms of resiliency scale, you know, how to automate things? Right, right. Well, one of the basic things that we learned, and we've been building out OpenShift 3 environments on Amazon for decent scale for, for a couple of years now. And so we had some best practices um, built out for those. So we, weren't, we certainly weren't starting from scratch with this environment. Mm-hmm. Um, we, kind of already, we kind of already knew most of where the um, scalability issues were. And the major things uh, are to ensure that you've got multiple masters, multiple you know, Kubernetes master uh, in a cluster, not only for HA, but for really for scalability. So we, a single master will limit you in scale far below what we were able to achieve here. And, um, you know, so we're working with a three node cluster of masters okay. and a three, uh, three node cluster of etcd systems, although etcd doesn't seem to be breaking a sweat very much. You know, for, for folks that aren't, um, you know, just digging into Kubernetes, let's let's kind of step back a second and, and talk about a little bit of the basics. Um, you know, within OpenShift, uh, you know, Kubernetes is the kind of core scheduling orchestration technology. What what's the role of the master? Why is it so important to have uh, you know scalability of those masters? But the masters coordinate all of the activity between the nodes. Uh, basically, the scheduler. You know the activity and, and command and control occurs on those master nodes. So there's a lot of communication paths between uh, the nodes themselves and the masters, uh, and that's what you know. That's where the scalability issues generally come in. Those communication paths are, are currently actually being optimized, and I want to say significantly. Um, part of the testing that we've done, and we're still pouring over the data, is uh, comparing with um, something called protocol buffers on or off, which is a feature that landed in Kubernetes 1.3, and we're going to have an OpenShift as well. And so we want to have a you know, an A-B comparison of how much efficiency we gained by enabling protobuf, um, which helps encode, uh, more efficiently encode those communications in a binary protocol rather than a, a JSON format, which we knew was um, particularly CPU intensive just based on looking at, you know, uh, profiling or pprof profiles of uh, of the go binaries so that we and google had flagged that many years ago even and finally just we've all got it uh, working on kubernetes at this point right you know for, for for folks that are building larger environments there you know there's a lot of things to take into consideration there's not just you know how do i scale out the the environment that runs the containers but also there's a whole slew of things that you've got to do to sort of do like out of band management um talk a little bit about how you guys so you you know you build this big environment and then you want to be able to kind of monitor manage uh, track log what are the what are the other kind of core elements that have to go on when you're building these big environments well, yeah, so the outer band management was handled by, uh, well, so hey, we had the OpenStack cloud underneath us, and we yeah. were able to leverage um, OSP Director, which handles out of band management and bare metal provisioning of the actual servers. Um, the monitoring, we ha- what we did was, so we have our own um, distributed system analysis tool called PBench that our group has written, and we use that extensively. At the same time, we also use CollectD to stream off uh, metrics to Graphite and Grafana system, and the, actually the blog includes some uh, some graphs, and that's that's from Grafana. Okay. So the mon- that's what the monitoring um, that's how we handle the monitoring, and the logging stuff is we haven't had a reason to do centralized logging at this point for the for the master nodes yet. Um, those are there's only a handful of 
them and uh, hasn't really been an issue. For the for the pod logging, however, we have an Elasticsearch, FluentD, and, and uh, Kibana, an EFK stack in OpenShift that we deployed. Okay. So that's the that's the kind of the, the container element of this, you know, the the infrastructure, if you will, uh, and then you go into a, a decent amount of depth about you know uh, loading up the clusters with uh, various application profiles. Talk a little bit about you know kind of what type of profiles you're you're trying to to establish, and then um, you know for for people that are trying to do some load testing, like what kind of tools are right. you taking advantage of? Right, and this is important. I didn't get into too much detail on the blog, but the background. And how we came up, so that we've developed a tool called the Cluster Loader, and it'll allow you to, we originally did, we're, we're trying to answer the question of how many pods can you shove into a, a Kubernetes cluster, and it sort of grew from there to account for all of the type of objects in, uh, in Kubernetes and um, etcd that we might want to scale test or load test sure. so so it, it grew into a tool that you know you can configure with a yaml file and if you look at the blog the guts of the yaml file are not arbitrary they're taken from our existing free tier on openshift.com what we give people for free or, or considering giving people for free assuming everything works out mm-hmm. um, that's what we would you know basically we would set limits for each tenant within OpenShift to those settings. And that's what we're trying to target. We don't know the answer of what it's actually going to be yet. Um, OpenShift 3 is currently out in a limited developer preview mode right now, and we're you know we're actively learning about the environment um, as it is. So that's where the configuration comes from. And you know, I think the, the, the beauty about it is that we can extend that very easily to include any type of basically any arbitrary object and any complex you know, set of applications as long as it can be expressed in a in a template, we can deploy it with this um, with the single tool. Right. Well, and I, and I think there's a you know there's a couple of other aspects of that that are that are really important and valuable for people. One is, um, you know, as we move to these environments where where companies are offering. Uh, you know, not only software that people can, you know, buy, consume, you know, modify, uh, but but these sort of online environments. There's there's a direct feedback loop that that people can get about what people are doing in the environments and so forth. So you guys are are using you know direct developer preview type of uh, of insight uh, to help us you know build the product better, uh, as I understand it. But the other thing that, that's cool that you guys do is um, you're, you're, you're putting all these tools online. I mean, they're available in GitHub. They're available as open source. So people don't necessarily always have to just take your word for it or take your methodology for it. They can then, you know, just use that as a, as a starting point to then, you know, baseline for their environments as well. Is that yeah, that, I, w- I would hope so. You know, and uh, that's the whole one of the whole reasons we put it upstream and, and you know into GitHub was that we wanted to maybe not necessarily build a, a terribly large community around it, but at least be able to share those benchmarks or those utilities with our customers. For example, during the POC phase, we might have some uh, pre-sales folks or solution architects on site with a customer, and they want to you know they want to size their environment, uh, and they want and, and why not just hand over the the precise tests that we run? Yeah, no, absolutely, and and. You know, in in the real world, uh, people may not have access to you know a thousand nodes. They may not care about a thousand nodes, but they do like having some methodology and some structure around. You know, how do I how do I test some of this stuff? Because there's there's going to be lots of companies 
who their IT organizations are kind of getting pushed toward these more cloud native types of environments. Um, and they may get, be getting pushed faster than they, they really wanted to. Um, and any help you can provide to people is, is always very, very helpful. Tell us, you guys, like you said, you had about six weeks to work on this. Um, you know, for anybody, you know, has looking at the task of having to stand up a bunch of nodes and get them all running. What were some of the things that you guys were able to do to, to shortcut certain processes, whether it was, you know, uh, you know, automation tools, there was existing things out in the community that you could reuse. Like, how did you, how did you make that six weeks, you know, possible? Yeah, we, well, I, I would say that next time, you know, we'll do better, but we did learn a couple of things this time through. I think there's two main issues and one we've actually, it actually didn't make the blog. I don't know why, but it's not in there. It's uh, it's something called the Image Provisioner, which uh, is a set of Ansible scripts that we is it is upstream in our in our repository, um, which is GitHub.com slash OpenShift slash SVT. And if you go in there, there's an image provisioner. Um, what it does is it'll take a, a, a QCow based rel image and bake everything possible into that image in terms of the OpenShift packages, the container images, it, you know, it, it sets up SSH keys or whatever else to, to basically generate a gold image in an automated fashion. And because we were discovering issues and iterating heavily, creation of that gold image or automation of the creation of a gold image was a huge, huge issue that we had to, you know, basically the, when we realized how, you know, how many times we were going to have to iterate, um, we, the first thing to do was to write, the, write all of that Ansible. And so that's after we had gotten over that hump, it was a lot easier to become more productive. Right. Right. And, and I think you, you highlight throughout the, the, the blog and kind of your learnings that, you know, the things that you had available through Ansible, you know, through one of the, these, these automation tools, was sort of, uh, you know, you couldn't have survived without it. I mean, having that thing there to do those basic tasks that somebody else had, you know, kind of already put together uh, has to be the starting point for any of these environments. Yeah, totally. I mean, there were simple things like um, I think we had to flash the NIC firmware across, you know, however many 300 systems. Um, we had to, re- you know, we had to do some LVM juggling based on how Intel gave the gear to us. Um, we, you know, we had to do a lot of kind of hideous at scale stuff at scale just before we could even do OpenStack and uh, yeah, Ansible or, or, or a tool like it basically. Yeah, Chef Puppet for Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, it's that low level plumbing that nobody wants to think about. I mean, no, nobody talks about it in a, in a, in a meetup or a, a DevOps day or container summit, but it has to be done uh, types of stuff. What about just general lessons? So, you know, your team is, is doing testing, not always at the scale of a thousand nodes, but, but you're doing testing, you're looking at how to optimize things. Like what, what sort of lessons, um, you know, can you pass along to anybody who's going, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get smarter at this stuff. Like, how are you guys learning, you know, Docker and Kubernetes that, that's moving so fast. How are you, you know, what, what are the sort of latest and greatest in testing tools? What, what other sort of lessons can you help people with? Yeah. Uh, well, we, we, we try and push all of our stuff upstream so that, you know, anytime we learn something, we automate it and it becomes part of our repository to be, to be quite honest with you, we leverage the, the communities as much as possible. The, the Slack communities, I know uh, we participate there and, and all of the SIGs, I would say that the Kubernetes SIGs are, are probably, um, the most underutilized portion 
of the Kubernetes community. I mean, there's there's maybe a dozen people on each one of the so the SIGs. There's probably a dozen of them, or, or maybe less at this point. But they're mm-hmm. special interest groups within the Kubernetes community, and we participate in maybe four or five of them at this point. Um, those one, you know, if I actually mentioned this to you know at LinuxCon, is that if you're if you're a customer and you're if you want to get into Kubernetes in terms of learning it or or you know debating features and the merit of of, uh, of those sorts of things, those SIGs are are I think an underused resource. Yeah, and, and SIGs being sort of special interest groups within the, the broader community. Yes, yeah. yep. Excellent. So, uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, the what, what ends up happening with these things all the time is you guys put in a ton of work. Uh, it's all behind the scenes. The, the blog comes out, the, the announcements come out, and then everybody goes, well, what's next? You know, you, you're recovering and, and then everybody wants to know what's next. Like, what, what do you do with these types of learnings? What you know, what do you, what do you potentially consider as a, as a next step? And maybe the, the better follow-up question is, um, you know, because this is an open cluster environment, like, you know, what, what do you, what do you expect to see people doing? I mean, is this something that they expect only vendors are going to, to work with, or, you know, is this open to, you know, kind of end customers or other, you know, groups to, to work on the, on the cluster environment? It seemed like the rule, I don't know exactly, but it seemed like the rules where anyone who wants to push forward open source is, is welcome to have a piece of the cluster or at least, at least apply for access. And yeah. that's done through their GitHub by sending a PR. Um, we'll send another one for our part two of all of this. Some of the things we're going to do is um, uh, we're going to work directly on bare metal, hopefully get access to more than 300 nodes. Um, you know, we want to... Uh, we want to do some more application level testing and data plane testing. A lot of what we did this time was it was it was fairly realistic control plane. I always try and get as close to to the application um, at, at level testing as possible. So we'll we'll be deploying you know thousands and thousands of web applications with databases and the one other piece is persistent storage. So right. next time we'll wire up uh, we'll, we'll configure a staff for a cluster cluster and you know the persistent volume dynamic provisioning uh stuff we'll, we'll also set up and test yeah no that that's very cool i know you know all, whether it's kubernetes or uh you know mesos or docker i mean every you know, sort of persistent storage and, and persistent applications is, is top of mind for everybody trying to figure out how do i you know move more than just you know a cloud native 12 factor application into this how do i you know potentially move other parts of my portfolio so that's that's very very cool you guys will be doing that um what, you know kind of to wrap this up, where's a good place for people to, you know, follow what you guys are doing, whether it's a, a GitHub repository or places that, you know, you're going to be out, you know, in the community talking about things or, or other places to get in touch? Yeah, uh, I mentioned our GitHub earlier. It's just github.com slash openshift slash SVT. We also have a Trello board. Um, so you can see, uh, you know, everything we're working on. It's, it's our only, you know, source of truth. So it's exactly what we're working on. Nothing hidden there. Uh, and as far as where we're going to be, uh, you know, definitely KubeCon in uh, November. Maybe we'll even have part two ready by then. I can't promise anything, but, uh, you know, that maybe is a good goal. And, uh, you know, any other industry events will probably have representation there. Cool. Very, very cool. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for the time today. And, uh, you know, big, big kudos to Intel um, for, you know, basically funding the the cluster. They've been not only kind of a great fan of, of this show for a long time, but they're doing a lot of stuff like this. They're doing it, you know, with the CNCF Foundation for Kubernetes. They're doing it with uh, with OpenStack. They announced some stuff, you know, six, seven months ago. So um, it's cool that the people that, you know, can help from a facilities and a resource perspective and then can help these bigger, bigger communities, you know, grow and, and learn from. So very, very cool. Well, listen, Jeremy, thank you for being on the show today. And uh, for Aaron, he'll be back next week. Folks, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. 
Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 